we'd like to introduce and thank Hughes Castell, a premier legal search firm in Asia and a pioneer in legal and compliance search in Greater China since 1986. Hughes Castell's trusted brand name gives it unparalleled ability to engage top-level legal talent in a broad spectrum of industries and commerce, including top Fortune 500 corporations, banks, and international law firms. I know I've personally worked with Hughes Castell before both as a candidate and as a client. I can assure everyone that their level of service is absolutely excellent through and through. A lot of times they're in this early stage planning. Like we don't want to invest too much to make sure it works. Can we do this? Can we do that? When you throw in the great firewall, the answer is a lot. I don't know. Nobody knows. So what we'll have to do is we'll often open up the test cloud, right? And just, we'll say, get in there and try it. That's the only way you can answer it. When you're looking at the market, you're trying to figure out that model we talked about. What does my IT look like? What does my product look like? The point is I need to know licenses what data is crossing, right? I need to make a, a business decision. We need to figure out what is the roast profile for any partner. And then after you look at what the company says they want to do, you're going to say, okay, do they really need to have a local operating partner, right? So we need to figure that out so we can figure out the roles and responsibilities. And hey, and if we're not the right partner for them, we're going to help bring a partner mm-hmm. that can't. They have a lot more options. Welcome everybody to another episode of Ganbei. I'm your host, Art Dicker, and today is a very freestyle episode with my old friend who I finally just met in person, Chris DeAngelis. Chris is from Alliance Development Group. He's a partner there. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Art. Looking forward to this chat now. I was going back, I think it's been, I think it was probably about May 2020 during COVID that we met. Virtually, yes. Yeah, so at the time I was doing a lot of work around cloud SaaS. Yeah. And you actually reached out to me because you came across something I'd written. Yeah. And you were doing the Amgen piece. That's right. Let's jump into it because I, I think it's easy to say China is different, right? And then, and people that work with China often say that and people even that don't have business in China know that. But I think for SaaS, that really is the case from a market entry st- standpoint and then an operating standpoint once, once you get there. So talk about what level of knowledge or maybe misconceptions people have when they come to you? Do they, how do people, first of all, how do people find you? And what are some of the, what starting point are they usually at in their understanding of China? Is it zero? Is it misconceptions, the wrong direction? You got to pull them back or what's the typical client walking in the virtual door? It's looking like it's a really good question. Years ago, right? A lot of people looked at China as the last untapped market if they weren't already there. And so a lot of people were, you know, asking about market opportunity and growth. And if that's figured out, then everything else could be solved. And now it's very different, obviously different political landscape. And from most perspectives, that's the call of the pipeline of people seem to fall off for a long time. Mm -hmm. But these days it's actually growing from kind of an unexpected path, which is There's a lot of large multinationals in China and years ago, they would have used local vendors. The ability to send data back and forth was fairly clear. 
So a lot of them worked with vendors that were not in China, didn't have local entities, et cetera. And so now under today's environment, these companies, they're not, they're too nervous. They won't, they're basically requiring their global software vendors to support them in China. Mm -hmm. And so this has created an interesting market because if you think about every SaaS company, for example, many of them have embedded 75 to hundreds of third-party tech stacks, mm -hmm. right? And so if they go launch a cloud in China, all of those products need to be supported. Mm -hmm. So I would say now 80% of our demand is coming from companies that are being dragged into China, where they're being told, if you want our business, you have to be in China. And I think the other area would be where there are what I more of traditional IT. This could be companies in any industry that have been transferring data back and forth in China and realized, okay, with some of the new data compliance laws that have been implemented over the last few years, they're not in compliance and they're, they're trying to find solutions and they need companies that can help them figure it out. So I think that's where, that's what's driving most of the, the business we see, we see today. Would you, okay, you said most, that was, that was my, my follow-up question was going to be, could you put a number on it as far as nine out of 10, if you could group them into companies that are going there purely for the market itself, let's say having look, and that, and that means multinational company clients, as well as potentially Chinese clients on the one hand, genuinely new source of revenue versus an add-on to a global offering. And you, like you said, they have to go to China because let's say they don't, maybe their competitor is there, right? I think from a market perspective, it's probably 90% are, again, what I call traditional IT companies that have some infrastructure and it's been, they've been doing business in China or already in China have entities and they need to clean up some stuff from a regulatory perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, it's reversed because we're dealing with companies that don't understand how to get into China, how to build a market, how to deal with compliance, right? They have much bigger questions and concerns. And one of the key differences where that plays out is if you need to open up a data center or you need to run some servers in China, right? In the old days, you could just do that. Um, now you need a local entity. And, mm -hmm. and so if let's call that an IT decision, right? Mm -hmm. We need to put some cloud and keep data in China. So that's being driven by an IT department that has or compliance or whatever. Right? And so they can still today and are comfortable in many cases using a local Chinese IT company. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to see most of that business. It doesn't make sense for us to be involved. But if you look at a company that's a new entrance, that's running a business, operating a real SaaS platform or cloud, they cannot, they technically could, but 99 out of a hundred times it's going to fail if they try to cooperate with one of these local mm -hmm. Chinese companies that wants to operate the cloud. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's where you guys come in. Let's get into a bit about the misconceptions, which you help people solve or get comfortable with. I know from the legal side, there's always issues of, do you need an ICP license? We can talk about that more later. I mean, at some of the data regulations, you, you mentioned how onerous are they? Also misconceptions about that, whether it's even strict requirements and keeping data stored in China and so forth. So we can get into that. But I, I wonder some of, if you have any stories or anecdotes of what you've heard from someone walking in the door about, I heard in China, we have to do this, or I heard in China, we have to do that. 
and you just say, whoa, whoa, stop. Right. Let me stop you right there. This is a good topic, and I'm actually going to pull you into this one. Okay. Okay, because you're a lawyer. Yeah. Often we run in a situation where a company, one of the first things they do when they're looking at China, it's either they're coming in through their technical team, right, mm -hmm. that's been told, okay, we're going to deploy in China, go figure out China. It's go-to-market people or it's lawyers, mm -hmm. right? So in many times it starts with, okay, a CEO is, okay, we want to do China. We think there's a big opportunity or a customer's dragging us there. Mm -hmm. And so they go to their compliance team and say, just make sure we can do this. Make sure we can figure it out. So they come to you and say, here's our business globally, mm -hmm. right? What do we need in China? Mm -hmm. And so I'll let you answer that. But what I usually tell people right away is the number one problem you're going to face is that the most compliant path because they also say i want to do it right i want mm -hmm. the most compliant path is the hardest mm -hmm. right the most compliant path is bring your entire business into china bring your entire cloud into china basically fork it and have a independent cloud running in china mm -hmm. and so that's what you're being asked what's the most compliant thing like, how do you respond to that when you know that there's other options so i think we see a lot of companies coming in where like you said they from the legal perspective, they want to be fully compliant. But as you said, to be fully compliant requires them, in some instances, doing it entirely themselves, it is impossible to be fully compliant. For example, setting up a local company that, depending on the type of SaaS business they're doing and certain factors may need like an ICP license or some other value-added telecom service license, which they cannot get as a foreign invested company. So that's often the starting point. You come to us and say, hey, Art, yeah, or you go to your client and say, before we get into all this, we need to figure out the license issue. Okay, let me, let's go down the path when it comes in through a lawyer. Yeah. So you've just told their internal counsel what you just told. Yeah. So I'll give you the interpretation that gets to the business guy. Like, sounds risky, a lot of complications, yes. right? Maybe some other yeah. company can help. It's from nine out of 10 companies, it's a dead end. Because yeah. it's not that you're saying anything wrong. It's because, okay, let me step back for a minute. Why does this not work for the company? The company, in most cases, doesn't know if China makes sense for them. So they're asking you a very specific question, and you have to answer that question. How will they enter from a design of their IT? What parts of their cloud do they bring into China? Can they do business cross-border, leveraging their existing cloud in China without even coming in or bringing their entire cloud in there mm -hmm. or bringing in pieces of it or just holding certain data in China that needs to be kept in China or anonymizing that data mm -hmm. or turning off potentially products that trigger certain yeah. areas, right? These are all things that can temporarily or permanently change the risk profile. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, the guy you're talking to can't answer, right? He can't say what products, if you said to him, like, what products do you need? He's a lawyer, right? Yeah. It's not his job. Right. So the fundamental issue is that to understand if there is a profile that can really reduce the risk, it needs executives, their cloud product teams, their go-to-market people, they all have to be up to speed on what are the implications of the business decisions they make mm -hmm. to see is there a path that from a business perspective they could consider that they could come to you and say, if we did it this way, Art, 
could we do it without needing that hard license? Mm -hmm. Right. And in our experience, as a SaaS company, 80% of the time, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. If your infrastructure or some other things, it becomes more complicated. Right. So I think that's what we see as this big challenge that even you know this, Art, right? Right. We talk about this stuff all the time. It's the problems inside these companies, because if they go to almost any other market in the world, expanding to those markets is implementation, Mm -hmm. right? It's not they use the, they use their playbook, right? Mm-hmm. And the legal guy knows what he's doing. The product guy knows what they want to do. They all know their jobs, but they don't need to come together because the model in which they come in doesn't fundamentally impact time to market, mm-hmm. cost of investment, partners that they would choose like it does in China. Mm-hmm. Or even like reputational risk. And reputational sort of yeah. risk, right. There's what we often call pre-planning, and I don't love the name, but it's you have to have this step in the beginning mm-hmm. where you pull all the people together and say and talk about and debate different strategies and what's possible and see if the company, if there's a path the company can accept that's likely to be compliant. And then look at that and say, how much does it cost? What's the time to market? What's my risk? All these things. And if the CEO can look at that and say, yeah, that's worth making forward, worth going forward or worth investing time, then they can go to the next step, which is where they really start to get into the details and find a path forward. And the role that that you and I play and you bring us in early and I often say you need uh, somebody like Chris to talk about practical experience of what companies have actually done. Because you and I have seen, despite all of what you read in the press about China not being open to foreign investment or the, what people like what they hear about the difficulties of running a SaaS business in China, we've seen many success stories and actually, and, and when I say success companies, which have gotten comfortable with taking a bit more risk than they would in any other market, because they don't have to in other markets on the compliance issue on everything, but which they, we can point to their competitors are operating and have been operating. And we can even show them this is the model that they use and they've been fine. Many well-known companies, including your cloud provider, AWS, is a model that is arguably very much a compromise of dealing with regulations that are unique to a place like China. And so if these guys have gotten comfortable with it and your competitors have gotten comfortable with it, then maybe you want to keep listening to us talk about this because you... Let's talk a little bit about the regulations. Yeah. Okay. And I don't mean the specifics, but... My meaning is, okay, so one of the reasons I really enjoy working with Art and we we do know each other pretty well now is because we sit and we have these discussions all the time. And we do because we bring Art companies that have really unique situations and every company, frankly, is unique. What we're trying to do is say, okay, what regulations apply to them? Mm-hmm. And I think audience needs to understand how gray it is and i don't mean that in a negative way right but you often say they're going to take more risk but as you and i know a lot of these things every single company in the industry does it a certain way the regulators are well aware of this right the risk is that the law is just general yeah right and so there's a lot of assumptions right or i don't know maybe it changes over time based on where things go how do you address that without getting into the 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 technical specifics the the gist of it is that the assumption by many people coming to china is that if you're a SaaS business 
and particularly if you're charging revenue, that you need an ICP license or something similar to that. And that's fundamentally not true. And that's counter to what you would read in most places and what many other lawyers or uh, other ex experts would say. But if you actually get on the phone with local regulators at MIT and call them up and drill down on specific examples, even though you're right, the regulations are not clear themselves, they'll give you a clear enough answer to say, no, that's not what we care about. Yeah. So that's the first step is that on the one hand, the rules are not crystal clear. On the other hand, we know from practical experience and from calling the regulators themselves that they're not interested in shutting companies down, which are not doing anything remotely controversial. So a, a, a typical example of a company, company coming in, setting up a cloud to run its own basically self-contained platform where you use the platform, it's, it takes your data, it does some analytics to it, it spits it back to you in another form. That does not implicate any kind of ICP licenses or anything like that that a foreign company cannot get, which is usually, it might be a deal breaker for a lot of companies. So the point is, that's a big misconception right off the bat that you and I have to get clients comfortable with so that then we can go to the next step and say, okay, now let's look a bit about, like you said, maybe certain features we can change to become even less of an argument. You need that kind of license. And then maybe if you are getting a little bit into, well, it's really not clear, the regulators didn't give us a good answer when we made a no-names call to them. And so it's back in your court a little bit, your court, and we know that's a whole other issue is you have different stakeholders at the company. Let's say starting with the general counsel, it's your call on how much risk you want to take. And that's when we get into issues of what are your competitors doing? And that gives them comfort, right? Yeah. They're looking for a reason in the front end. Usually they're looking for a reason to say no, especially the legal team internally, the finance team. But out after time, once they, they, they realize it's not so simple for them to just shut it down some, and, and the business team is pushing them, then we're giving them a reason to say yes. And often one of those reasons might be, here's what your competitors are doing. Here's what other companies are doing. We can look up what licenses they do or do not have. We know how they're structured. So well, let's just cut to the, the risk. Okay, let's take a company that is fundamentally doing something that's legal. We're not talking about anything sensitive. Yeah. Just corporate IT work. They're passing some data to monitor technical cloud or, or something. It could be security, whatever. Something that I would put in the category of China welcomes them as long as they're a responsible player, right? So let's say they, someone looks at it and said, okay, we're selling something online. We think we need an ICP mm -hmm. license. And then do the work and you say, yeah, it's ambiguous, but we talked to the regulators and that's not their intention to, to regulate you in that way. Okay. So they say, fine. Okay. This is great. We go, we do our business. Six months later something changes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Someone comes knocking on their door. Yeah. What happens? These people go to jail. How are these, you're a lawyer, you must run into people that kind of get in trouble. Do companies, what happens? So usually there's something that's triggering that's completely unrelated to how they're structured. There's something else going on that the company's doing that has nothing to do with how they're structured. Meaning there's certain, maybe let's say sensitive data that they should not be handling. And that has actually nothing to do with the license issue, right? License has to do with how the platform is set up, who the customers are, and what the what kind of a business they're running. But it doesn't have to do with sensitivity of data per se. That's a data regulation issue. We might separately talk about that. So if the companies or something completely unrelated, let's say 
there's allegations of corruption, right? Or there's or side deals or something. But our experience that we find is it doesn't happen to small companies, but when companies start to become important and big and they're making money, yeah, their competitors try to get them in trouble. So you're a victim of your own success in that yeah. way. So you have to be mindful. What we always say is, and when we, when we do this on the calls together with the clients, you have to come up with a credible argument, a credible story, so that if someone comes knocking on your door, you can say, we did the research, we made the calls, we, un we read the regulations, we understand what the issues are, and we made a collective decision that, that this was compliant, and here's our reasoning. And if you have that, in most cases, in 99% in, in of the cases, the regulator, again, assuming you haven't done something else, which just, just, this is the, what they're going to use to get you, the regulator is going to give you a chance to fix it, quote, fix it. Now that could mean... Do the regulator sometimes look at your analysis and say, maybe, okay? Or they usually just, just change something and... They're usually making a call and to be honest, they're not necessarily, they don't have the, the answer in their head either. Yeah, they're, they're making the call because really because somebody stuff. is complaining, so they have to respond. So in that sense, what you need, you almost need to give them ammunition back to how to respond, right? Like we asked, we did the inquiry, they have a reason, this is what they're doing. And they also offered to restructure this way, right? So that maybe they'll turn off a certain feature, like we talked about a chat feature or something, but they're going to make this tweak and then we think it's okay. Then the premise is that they're not actively looking to shut companies down because yeah. they need its investment, right? It's, they need foreign investment. So it's not like they're unwelcoming to most businesses. They're unwelcoming to businesses which are blatantly not even trying to comply, have their head in the sand about the regulations, data, or ICP, or whatever, or are doing something else nefarious by anyone's standards is nefarious, no matter yeah. what country you're you're doing it in, right? So it's so they're going to if you're not doing any of that stuff, you will have a second chance so long as you have a story that's credible to tell. Yeah, I, I always uh, I like to put in some kind of real world example to help people understand why it's so ambiguous. Mm -hmm. And I'll take we were working on a project recently it was related to a called a software solution that helps companies to hyperscale, mm -hmm. right? Think of it as tools, management dashboards, things to deploy into different regions in their clouds, things like this. And you get into some really interesting discussions because when you get to say ICP licensed territory, you'll say, okay, are, are you operating a cloud and are you selling products and blah, 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 and so forth. And <clears throat> You may come up with a lot of answers that say, yeah, probably, maybe I need a license. But then you, the company says, well, we have a solution where we can just deploy it within the VPC of the customer. So basically an internal cloud. Mm -hmm. Okay. That requires no licenses because essentially you're sitting within an organization. It's just their internal IT mm -hmm. and whatever tools they have, they can run it across their VPN across the world and they, they have no issues whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So why is one highly regulated regulated, and the other one is not, mm. right? And so we run into questions that are very great because it will say, actually, this quote SaaS cloud that's providing the exact same thing, they're actually only serving one customer. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it's in a cloud is because the company wants a third party to manage it outside of them because then they run into security issues of going inside mm -hmm. their customer's cloud, right? 
And from an outside perspective, you can say, oh, it needs licenses. It does all these things, right? But actually it's exactly, it's almost like a, just a, a dumb product outside of mm -hmm. the company, but run by the company. Every, I feel like every discussion you and I have, we go down these kind of like rabbit holes of what is the intention? What does it really look like? Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, to your point, like the regulators have a fairly open mind and will say, mm -hmm. yeah, we're not trying to prevent that. That's how it really is. And yeah. in principle, that seems reasonable. Yeah. If you're trying to get a 100% clear answer out of someone at MIIT about whether you need a license, they're never going to give you that. Yeah. But you read the tea leaves, right? You read through the lines of what they're saying. If they're saying absolutely no, you need a license, then first you may just call up a different one, MIIT, and you might get a much more nuanced or different answer at a different let's say Hangzhou versus Shanghai versus Beijing branches, or they're usually somewhere in the middle. And that's a sign, you know, that, that they're open to this discussion, right? And they're not going to come knocking on your door and say, we got to shut you down. You clearly violated the rules because they themselves are not un unsure of what it means. I'm curious because I, even though we do these calls together, I often still am always on when the lawyer is on and you're and, and you, maybe you do more calls with just the business side, go to market team and the tech team. So, I, in, with clients that are getting comfortable with this, I will, let's say, talk to the general counsel, maybe one-on-one -on -one or in a group call where they say, okay, we got to go to China. So we got to figure this out. There's these regulations and so forth, everything we, we've already talked about and give them kind of a lowdown, write a memo for them, and then don't hear from them for, let's say two or three months. And then they come back and say, Hey, we really got to, we, we look another look at the memo. We really got to come back. Or maybe they forget to have to be wrote the memo. And they come back and say, hey, we have more questions. Here's some questions that came up from the IT team. And we want to get your take on these. And either we've already, we actually answered those questions already in the memo and they forgot. Or they're coming back to us saying, yeah, we, we thought there was some risk, but we really got to go to China. And it's almost like we see like the legal team at, or compliance team generally really doesn't want to come because it's a headache for them. And so much it's an unknown that they'd rather just not have to deal with. But something is pushing them mm -hmm. to keep coming back every two or three months and say, okay, I know we were silent for a while, but we got to do this. And here's some more questions. So I'm wondering on your side of the equation, yeah. what are you seeing that's then uh, being transferred yeah. over to the legal team? Yeah, I wouldn't interpret it as the legal teams don't want to go to China. I think where you see that is a case where they have the impression that no matter where what option they have, they're going to end up with some local partner or their IP is at risk. Yeah, and so they feel like, yeah, I've talked to a couple of my friends, and this is a dead end no matter what. Right. I got these annoying business people, but actually, I think eighty percent of the time that's not actually what's going on. I think what's happening is the it takes a lot for the internal companies to digest the stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's what I was talking about before. If you start from lawyer, it's very hard for the business people to understand what it actually means and what are the options. Right. And when the business people get this feedback, the first thing that executive is doing is he's talking to his network and right. he's getting competing feedback, right? He's saying this company just did it and that yeah. company just did it. And our VC just bought a company in China, right? So this doesn't make any sense, right? And so they're gonna push back, right? And it's a similar thing that happens internally around the product teams because they're looking at it and they're saying, wait a minute, 
how are you telling us they, they're talking to other people and they're talking to AWS or whatever and various people and they're saying, wait, my product doesn't run in China. Right? And they're trying to figure out, is this a great wall? Is this a networking problem? Okay, maybe my product does work. Or once I get my product working, is it going to perform? All different departments are hearing lots of different things and the data security guys are. And if the data security guys are told, okay, you either you can't transfer the data or you need to anonymize the data, they got to go back to the product team and say, okay, can you do this? How much time is it going to take? So you're in this constant circular thing of everyone saying, what does this thing look like at the end? What pieces of my cloud have to be in China? Because, mm -hmm. you know, I'll give you an example. We had a company that let's say basically it's related to videos. So enterprise, non-controversial stuff mm -hmm. and called training videos running inside the organization. From a regulatory perspective, it's fairly safe. And from an IT perspective, we all looked at it and said, look, if you have a video, you want to show it to your team in China. The only problem you're going to have is performance. Mm -hmm. And so we can, there's a plenty of networking solutions, working with the operators to open up channels, get through the, great firewall. Get through the firewall. Yeah. And so that will work fine. It's just a matter of cost, mm -hmm. right? And so that was the initial discussion. As we got further into the product, they said, we like all of the employees, the customer's employees like to create and edit videos. Mm -hmm. And so we had to go back to the product team and say, okay, what does that look like? Because now it's just not pushing out video, right? And they said, actually, you're right. That has a lot of processing. Mm -hmm. So if a user in China wants to edit a video, they start to capture something and then they've got to send it across the world and process it in our global cloud and then send it back, A, that's going to be very costly mm -hmm. uh, and the performance is going to be terrible, right? Mm -hmm. And so they had to look at it and say, okay, we're going to put some infrastructure in China also to do some processing there. Mm -hmm. So that's additional cost. So those are the types of questions that go way beyond just compliance. Yeah. And take ages. And that's why they show up months later. That's, a, that's another perfect example of where you don't hear from them for a while. And you think that they've written off one configuration of their product. And suddenly they come back and say, no, we need to look at this again. Even though you wrote a memo for us about all of these challenges of doing this and that, again, purely mostly from the legal. But we try and say, oh, you have the, the latency issues of the firewall and stuff. We know we, we dismissed that before, but we need to take another look at it. So I know that somebody is pushing them now. And I don't know if that's their customers saying, why don't we have these features or the sales team just saying, doing their own research. I see this competitor can do it. How it looks pretty simple. Here's the diagram of what they do. Why can't we do that? Yeah. Now that we go through that and we sometimes have to point out little things like, no, that's an ICP registration, which is much simpler, right? That's yeah. not a... It's not a license. Anybody with a website in China has to do a registration. It's very simple. You can do it online. So we have to correct certain of these assumptions. But that's what I, that's the dynamic I'm talking about where, again, me dealing more with the legal team, somebody is, they're getting, okay, we're not going to do that. And then somebody's pushing them. And I got to assume it's the customers. Yeah, I'll give you another example. This one yeah. that's really easy. It's a lot of times our clients say to us, they're in this early stage planning. Like we don't want to invest too much to make sure it works. Yeah. And they're like, okay, does this work? Can we do this? Can we do right. that? And when you throw in the great firewall, the answer is a lot. I don't know. Nobody knows. 
And it's going to depend on what exactly they're doing, what parts of China their customers need to be in, right? There's a bunch of networking issues. It, what are they willing to spend all this stuff? But what, so what we'll have to do is we'll often open up the test cloud, right? And yeah. just, we'll say, just get up and try, get in there and try it. That's the only way you can answer it. And a lot of people, organizations are like, well, I'm not, I don't want to green light my technical team to start building stuff unless I know I'm going to China. Yeah. Well, then you can't answer those questions. Nobody can. So there's a lot of that going in circles. And again, in, in the, when they do say yes, then they're going to test and setting up and configuring and trying different things and trying different regions. And sometimes they have to bring in partners to say test a local China partner that will test the performance around the country. Mm-hmm. So we got to go find them. we got to contract with them. We're going to put that in place, test it, see how the results were. And then they go, okay, this works. Yeah. And then they come back. Additional sponsorship from Jet IT Services. JetIT is a one-stop source built to provide enterprise-grade IT and communication services and supplies required to compete in today's China business environment. Jetservices.com.cn You can essentially set up your own company, do an ICP registration, not a license, which every company has to do to set up a website, and basically just hope that you're compliant enough under the radar and no one will ever come knocking on your door. And yes. basically, maybe there's an argument you need a certain license, but you know what? I'm just going to yeah. go with it maybe because I want to see if it's I can market, market here. Practically, it's reasonably safe if you're a small company. Right. Uh, it's right. not doing something stupid. Exactly. And sometimes that's a fair thing to tell the, the clients. Look, you're starting out. You need to know if you if things work for you here, yeah. if your clients are happy, right? Otherwise, you've gone through all this exercise, but there's no product market fit or whatever fancy word, then what was all that for? So there's some like the Deng Xiaoping crossing the, the river by feeling the stones kind of approach. And then there's the compliant, there's the, the other options where you set up this elaborate indirect holding structure called the BIE. That's a whole nother topic we won't get Does into. Does anybody do those anymore? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. That's, I, I, we won't, if people really want to know, we did a deep dive on BIEs a couple of years ago. You can search for that. I mean, it used to be like really common. I feel like they just have dropped it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, we that's don't a whole other rabbit hole. That. Yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole to, yeah. to get into. And then there's this kind of an in-between option where you're, where you don't own it. You partner. You don't own the entity that is o- owning the domains to run the server and everything like that. But you're, you're partnering with someone who does. And that's where you guys come in. So... I know for your clients, you take on the role sometimes as just more of an advisor. Sometimes you take more on the role of an operating partner. Yeah. Now, can you walk us through how that works, the conversations you have with the clients on deciding what your role is and how you help them, especially compared to, let's say, some of the Chinese competition that they have as an alternative? Yeah, that's a great question. This is hard for people to get their heads around, too, is the... From a regulatory perspective, particularly with sensitive products, right, the the perception, which may be true in many cases and others it's not, is right. you need to have a local operating partner to run a real cloud SaaS business. Mm-hmm. Again, there are some and many SaaS companies that you don't, but let's just talk about something where you do. So the role we take is because a lot, and, and this is the same for Chinese partner or us, right? The reasons companies want a partner right, is if you, before the world of cloud, right, you would think of a a traditional distributor model, Mm -hmm. right? You go find a digital China or somebody who's going to represent your product, sell through the market, right? And a lot of go-to market people, that's their 
initial thinking, right? Can you just help me distribute in China? Mm -hmm. So that model has fallen apart in the world of cloud. And the reason is that if you look at a SaaS product, it's not just a downloadable software, right? It's the entire business model, the pricing, the customer support, the marketing, everything is on this, right? And if you're asking a local Chinese company to run your cloud or basically run your business for you, it's essentially a JV, right? Mm -hmm. And you are, that Chinese company is going to say, okay, your product doesn't even work today in China, right? So we're going to need to build in some payment solutions and some WeChat integrations. And we want to change your pricing model because our customers don't like that. And you end up competing with your own company for resources, how to make this happen. So that was the number one reason where the operating partner model has fallen on its face. Mm -hmm. When they first started coming out with these regulations, I don't know, it was like six, seven years ago, it was a while back mm -hmm. now, right? Amazon and Alibaba and Tencent were excited, right? They're like, okay, we're going to get all these big deals where the foreign companies are essentially going to license these businesses and then they're going to have these huge Chinese businesses taking over every name brand out there, right? And maybe three have ever happened, right? Mm -hmm. And these are big companies. These are like Microsoft and Salesforce with Ali, and that's really, there's a handful of them that have ever been put together successfully. So then the question became, okay, then what do you do, right? And how do you get into China? And that's where we looked at the business and said, okay, this model won't work, right? And so we had a traditional business of where we would help a company basically on their go-to-market strategy. So we'd help them build and expand and grow. And it's like an incubator model for existing companies. Mm -hmm. um, and what we would do is we were leveraging our entity and our licenses on our relationships and everything to help doing. And if we needed to hire people, we'd hire them into our entity. And so it was an alternative to do it yourself, right? And in some ways it made sense for companies and other ways it didn't, right? If you really wanted to do it yourself, you might as well do it. But for a company that wasn't clear if the market's proven, right? And they wanted to start a little bit smaller, we had it all, we could start tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So that's the model. So when we came to cloud, it got a little more complicated because we're not an IT company. And so we were told for years, okay, you don't have a place in cloud. And we said, you're wrong. And everyone was literally Amazon thought we were nuts. Like, how can you be a partner? You're not an IT company. What they didn't understand is that when you come into this market, you have a thousand business decisions, right? Mm -hmm. And if you were going to enter in any of the market, you would have a team, you'd have a team of business and IT people and product people, and you go and select all the partners you need, right? And then you put them together and you run your business, okay? So if you go today and you say, okay, I wanna work with Digital China or one of these local IT companies, what they're gonna to say to you is, okay, we got it, we're your partner. We're gonna run your cloud, we're gonna do all this, which just what I talked about, it doesn't work. So companies needed a way where they could have a hybrid model, which is they had a team on the ground and they could choose all the partners they need and they could figure out their go-to-market and their business strategy and get their operations done, but they could control it. So that's what we really came up with was a unique model where we say, look, we're closely tied together. Okay. From a legal perspective, you have to give us the rights to, quote, operate your cloud, but actually we're allowing the companies to operate the cloud. Mm -hmm. And they're making the key decisions. They decide how much they want to invest, where they want to put it in. 
and we will grow with them according to their plans. Mm -hmm. And so that's our model, which is, it's an in-between. And maybe someday they're ready to run it on their own. You give it, you essentially give it, you've helped them with the lift off and... Yes. Okay. That's a good point. So a lot of our clients recently, I, I don't know if we should say names or can, but right, so we worked with Commerce Tools, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's an example of where it's a pretty big business and very specialized e-commerce company. Right. So what we did with them was help them to land and start building their cloud on, mm -hmm. under our infrastructure and figuring out what are some of the things they need for their product and how to start planning for their market. And once the product was up and running under our cloud, then we transferred it into their own entity that mm -hmm. they'd already created. Right. So that allowed them to get started a year early and sign contracts and build and test and do everything right before before they had that legal entity in place that could get the licenses they may or may not need. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so we have a group of customers that were temporary, and then we have a group of customers that are looking for us to be that long-term operating mm -hmm. partner. In most cases, what I'm telling companies is you need to separate that decision. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest mistake companies make is they try to make the decision of who's their long-term operating partner in day one. Yeah. And it's something we used to see years ago, even before cloud, but it's the same problem, only worse, which is you need to separate the decision. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you're looking at the market, you're trying to figure out that model we talked about. Like, what does my IT look like? What does my product look like? All of these things determine essentially what is going to be your regulatory position that we can come to you and say, okay, we've gone through it a couple of times in circles. Can you give us a blessing that this works? Mm -hmm. okay. And you say, yeah, this works. Mm -hmm. Okay. That decision is needed because that determines not only the roles of partners that you need, mm -hmm. but also the risk of the partner. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, every day somebody comes to us and says, you know what, you're an American company. I want you to be my operating partner. And I understand that you're not going to actually technically run the cloud. I can do that. Plus, we'll bring in some other IT companies to support us and we'll all work together. Okay, I love your model. What's your price? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Have you done this before? I'm like, of course we have. We haven't seen our risk profile, mm -hmm. profile right? Mm -hmm. Because there isn't the concept in China in cloud of a distributor where you can just put the risk on the vendor, mm -hmm. right? Whoever operates that cloud is in the liability chain, mm -hmm. right? So if my customer in the U.S. does something wrong, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's a very trusted relationship in both directions. Mm -hmm. So the point is I need to know licenses, what data is crossing, right? I need to make a, a business decision. We have, we even have ways to use entities that we control, right? To essentially get certain licenses, right? All of those choices have real costs mm -hmm. and risk. Mm -hmm. So. You need to, so what we say to our clients is, look, don't make your decision on a partner, right? Yes, we'd love to be your partner, maybe, if we think we are or the right partner for you, if we think we can help you grow in the long term, right? But forget that for now, right? Mm. We need to figure out what is the roast profile for any partner. And then after you look at what the company says they want to do, you're going to say, okay, or you're going to tell me, do they really need to have a local operating partner? Mm -hmm. And if so... Is that Chinese local operating partner for the whole business or is it just some part of their business and they can run a woofy on their own or have another mm -hmm. partner, right? So we need to figure that out so we can figure the roles and responsibilities 
And then we can start talking about what's a long-term cooperation plan look like. And hey, and if we're not the right partner for them, we're going to help bring a partner. Mm -hmm. they, can't, they have a lot more options. They know what they want to do and they haven't tied themselves to one guy that's like brought them down a path and says he can do everything. Yeah. You know, it won't work. And I haven't been on calls with you with the clients and then maybe us talking afterwards. I think the clients can appreciate that you're with them kind of tied together on, on the risk and also and potential liability and all that sort of thing. And also that you're in some ways, you're almost interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you because you bear some of that risk of, you want to see how good they're going to be a partner to for you in some ways, right? As, yeah. and, and how they're going to manage things on their side. Look, I'm the legal entity of my yeah. company, right? I, they're coming to me if there's a problem. And they're not just coming to me, right? My staff has to turn in their own chef and junk, their Chinese IDs, right? When they're signing for cloud agreements as well. So all of us are personally liable. So we're very incented not to do anything wrong. And that comes through to the client too, because the client knows that you're not a typical go-to-market sales, sales incentivized structure where you say, no problem. Come on. We, this is, really, that's true. When it's a go-to-market guy that's yeah. talking to us first. Yeah. That's his view. He's okay. You know, how much rev share I give you and how much you can grow my business. Right. I don't even, you can understand. Right. I'm getting in trouble here. If you do something wrong, I need to talk to other people. <laughs> and then the IT people are like, I just need to run my cloud. Right. No, because right. I need to know what you're doing right. and I need full support of your organization, right? Or somebody says, oh, if we do, the CSO might say, if we do something wrong, then my proverbial is on the line and you can butt in and say, no, actually mine is on the line. Yeah. <laughs> we may have had calls like that before. Which on this note, which is interesting is it used to be the Chinese companies would say, yes, we'll do anything, but they've actually realized that as well. So mm -hmm. they've gotten much more conservative and they're, they only say, not, they don't say this, they, in practice, they are only really going after huge opportunities with proven brands Yeah, and every other company that kind of comes to them, they go, hey, yeah. And then they eventually say, okay, how much are you going to pay me? We need exclusivity and they're not serious. Yeah. And I think what's changed probably, you would know better than me, I think, but the, is, is the sensitivity about data. I think that's what's, that's the thing that wasn't there before. That's right. That, that's there now, which has caused even Chinese potential Chinese partners to, to take all this more seriously. Everyone's seen, not everyone, but everyone that follows China has seen the, the issues of D, that Didi, the trouble that Didi got into and lots of other companies now that the data regulations, particularly like a personal information protection law came out in 2021. And that's just raised the stakes for everybody, including Chinese companies, because those are the ones that are most effective because they're, they're there. I'll give you an example. This is interesting is probably two years ago, right? When we're talking to AWS and we're talking about partners and we explain that, look, if we're going to operate a cloud, we need to have the ability to audit that cloud. And we need the nuclear option to turn off cloud if the Chinese government walks in our office and says, shut it down. Mm -hmm. And AWS, they were cloud operating company was that this is going to be tough, right? Chinese mm -hmm. companies don't do that. They just give them access and give them root access and let them do what they want. Mm -hmm. So I had that conversation again about two months ago and they said, oh, don't worry. Everyone does that now. It's changed. Mm -hmm. That That's a good thing. Yeah. So one thing that's has changed in the last couple of years we mentioned is the amount of the data regulation and that stems from the amount of data going back and forth, data being collected from people and especially these days, data going back and forth across border. And so we talked about how that becomes more sensitive then, but how are there misconceptions that we've both kind of encountered with clients on 
what they can and cannot do with data. So I think from my perspective, there's what the rules say, which is might be surprising to people, which is that you can actually take data out of China. I should stop there for a minute, because yeah. I think there's an important point here, which is prior to the implementation of these rules, it was unsaid. Yeah. And so for years, everyone's like, am I allowed to do this? And a lot of companies wanted some kind of green light, right? And they said, am I in business? Because I've got tons of Chinese customers, right? And they're sending me data back and forth. Is that legal? Yeah. And nobody knew. Yeah. And so I think when these rules came out, it actually, for the first time, said, yeah, you, this is fine as long as you follow the rules. Yeah. And that's been helpful. And I mean, in a nutshell, those rules, yes, they gave a lot of clarity. But at the same time, there's what the rules say, which is surprised, like I said, surprising to people that in there are ways that you can send data out and comply with the laws. But there are also parts of the law, for example, uh, an individual withdrawing their consent later on to, to have the data processed and stored and transferred outside of China. And that creates headaches. And there's all kinds of other situations where arguably, for example, you could take all the data out of China. You could get consent for that from individuals up front. You don't necessarily need to go through special kind of cybersecurity audits if you're not dealing with certain sensitive kind of data. And you don't even need to necessarily store a copy of that data in China, which if you explain that it's actually possible, it blows some people away because that's counter to everything that they've heard. But, and I think this is where you're going to have a lot to say, there are practical considerations where despite the fact that you could do that, you may still want to keep data in China. I think from an operating standpoint, even that simple example of someone being able to withdraw consent later, how do you unwind these kinds of things. Yeah, I would say it this way. The, the clarity, it's much more clear now, and there's a lot more options to comply, but the cost of compliance is definitely gone up. And it's, look, if you have a solution and you kind of air gap China, other than say you can easily send unimportant data for monitoring and monitoring the cloud and make sure it's working and technical stuff and things like that, that's easy. Right. But most companies can't do that. And particularly if it's a customer in China that wants to access and send data back and forth. Right. So there's a couple things. I think in some cases it's completely the liability or risk is on the China side. Other cases, right. You might be able, somebody can just anonymize the data. Right. So this is your strength where that's where you and I are talking a lot. And you're coming back and saying, yeah, you can anonymize this. Yeah. This doesn't have enough volume. Don't, this falls with under that. So there's, there are a lot of options. Again, it's just like everything else. It's like putting together the puzzle. Yeah. And companies want some kind of confidence that you can get to an end yes before they spend a ton of money going into not even entering market, but stage two due diligence. And so that's where I like working with Art a lot because we'll get on a call and we talk through where the issues that can trigger compliance issues. And then you can help somebody to say, there's definitely solutions here, Yeah, right? From a legal perspective, compliance. And I can say, we got business solutions, we've got partners, we've got other things and, you know, can get a company to be able to have a high degree of confidence, you know, that it's doable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even some of these things that are, you know, like I said, you might have, there's what the regulations say, and there's also maybe what your own customers our clients' customers are asking of that. They may feel that they want to copy the data in China for their own peace of mind because they know that's it's your nuanced reading of the regulations may not hold up to the fire, feet to the fire 
in a crisis for like a, some kind of a breach or something like that, cybersecurity breach, or you're, you, if you're taking data out and it's coming from the customers, you essentially, if they ask the right questions, they'll quickly find out that your argue, your argument is that the the risk of export compliance for data is on them as sending the data yeah. out. To. So all these things, and I, I'm trying not to get too technical about it, but it's just- but One thing that's good, sorry, it's, that's good is there's a lot of solutions out there now. Like we come across a lot of companies that are building data residency solutions and they're doing it particularly for different industries. So take like retail, for example, right? There's companies that will take all the data in China and I forgot the, the term for it, but they, they essentially take out the personal information. They identify it, yeah. Right. And they send it back to the U.S. and allow companies to do data analytics yeah. and everything else, or they can send it back to China and companies can get the analysis they need right. to run their businesses without running into problems with the, the data security laws. Right. Chris, if people are thinking about going to China, again, because maybe their global clients are pulling them there or for whatever reason, what's the best way that they can reach out to you to start a similar conversation with wrapping their mind around getting going into China? I would reach out to us. You can find us. Our website is adgchina.co. Mm-hmm. And we'll put this up on the show notes of okay. the, the website. And LinkedIn is LinkedIn's probably a good way to reach out to you guys too. Yep, certainly LinkedIn. We just, we love, you love talking about this. I love talking about this. We get on calls, Art and I, every day, just talking with people through this high level stuff sharing whether they should be thinking about China or not and giving them real world. And so anyone can reach out to us and yeah. that's the easiest way. And we don't mind going pretty deep and answering a lot of questions. Yeah. In a perverse way, this is fun for us to talk about yeah. this, as you hopefully picked up in the, in the audience. So cool. And so hopefully next time it won't be so long that we get to meet each other in person finally. So that was another fun part of recording. And uh, thanks everybody for listening in and we'll see you next time. Did you know that 8 out of 10 China expats want to invest their RMB savings, but don't know where to start? Are you looking for more flexibility when investing without foreign exchange, long-term contracts, or complicated products? Expat Invest can help. Expat Invest provides a simple online investment platform for expats based in China. Buy and sell anytime. Search for Expat Invest China and enter promo code GANBEI at checkout for up to 3,000 RNB invested fee free forever. That's promo code GANBEI at checkout at expatinvestchina.com.